0: Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell.
1: Hello and welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast. We're on episode 18 today and we're going to be speaking to Austin McPhee yes. of AM Soccer. Yes. My reason for pausing there is Andrew and I have got a running joke uh, at my expense. I, I must add uh, that um, we've been talking about AM Soccer for quite a while. Uh, kept on saying, "Oh, we need to, we need to do an, a, a podcast with Austin." Uh, and I said to Andrew one day a couple of months ago, um, "What's Austin's sort of playing history after he left Airdrie?" <laughs> and Andrew looked at me blankly and said, "Well, he didn't play for Airdrie." I said, "Yeah, he did. He was a he was a full pack. I remember him." I said, no, 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 he didn't. He didn't then. And after a while, me trying to convince Andrew that uh, Austin played for Airdrie, I realised I was talking about Austin McCann. Yes. Um, big so, <laughs> Yeah, big difference. Um, so we're talking to Austin McPhee. Maybe one day we'll get Austin McCann on. Well, I don't know what he's I doing now. I like do. Might be an interesting, interesting guest.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're SD Scotland are very fortunate because we get to work with AMS through our club development unit. So we offer support to them on a range of different stuff, including gift aid and facility development governance and and funding things so um but this isn't a shameless plug for club development but instead really wanted to get austin on the podcast and a a great excuse to have him here because uh, he is a fascinating character and um this was a brilliant excuse to just have a chat with him and talk about ams and and how that's evolved and although that's the focus of it i think to connect the dots you need to go into his background quite a lot and we will explore everything he's done in the sort of in his past and uh what he's doing at the moment as well yeah because he's developed um AMS as a as a club, whilst he's had a heavy involvement in professional football, so he's done this as a, a kind of side thing, and he's still maintained a huge level of, of commitment to it, and it's grown so hugely over the sort of last yeah. decade. So it's a, yeah. a great story. He's
1: a man with many jobs. He seems to keep a lot of yeah. uh, balls up in the air. Yes, you know, A absolutely. professional juggler.
2: Yeah, and um he's. I think he's definitely one of the more interesting characters in Scottish football, but one of the ones that doesn't get spoken about so much. I yeah. guess. Um, but a uh, great track record when you'll find out when we go through the interview, he's got an amazing track record.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so uh, yeah, we'll just delve straight into it. Yeah. Okay. Austin, thank you very much for joining us today on the, on the podcast. We've taken the podcast on the road today, come out to Fife to the, the AMS offices. Thank you very much for having us. Um, we're going to talk a lot about AMS and, and the club and everything you've done with the club, but if it's okay, we'll go back to the start of your personal career and try and connect the dots a little bit and, you started out with. Am I right in thinking you started out with Forfar, but then um, actually got a scholarship in America.
0: In yeah, yeah. That's... 2000 and sorry, no,
2: 1999 was it?
0: 1999, yeah. A three-year yeah, scholarship yeah. in America. Yeah. What
2: was that like? What was that experience like?
0: It was the reason that I went was because I realised quite early that I wasn't good enough to, you know, be a have a significant career in the U, in the UK. Um, and from everything that i knew about scholarships in america it was uh, maybe a level of football which uh, gave you more reward in terms of um, opportunity to be abroad opportunity to do a degree um all the games were on tv you traveled up and down the east coast playing from uh, new york to, to florida um, and it just seemed a, a more exciting opportunity than being in you know, League Two or League One in, in Scotland, mm. uh, where I where I was with Forfar at the time, um, and uh, from that point, you know, I'd always enjoyed travelling and going to the World Cup in 1998, uh, for and you know, in any other uh, times when I was when I was young, whether it was with my, with my parents or um, uh, or just in the summers, you know, going to other countries always uh, was always something that. That I found quite exciting, and the opportunity to to go to the states when I was eighteen, nineteen for three or four years was, was kind of too good to turn down. Mm.
1: How did that opportunity come about? Were you approached, or did you go looking for it was actually, a
0: scholarship? Um, uh, when I was at Forfar, uh, there was a there was a player there that uh, who'd who'd come back from from doing a scholarship and then played in in, in at that level, uh, and he he explained, you know the. The level of opportunity over there um the internet hadn't been around for so long, so the world wasn't so small um and I'd never been to the states uh, so eventually I went through an agency that uh, uh, that that helped give me some advice um, and I ended up at the University of north carolina of North Carolina at Wilmington and I was very lucky because the, the university was right on the beach it was in a nice climate the football team the the coach changed in in my second year there uh, to a guy called Aidan Heaney who who's very good he's still there um you know some 20 years on he, he he's built up a really good program and you know the, the, they get in and around three thousand at some of their games wow um, and you know just the the professionalism because college sport in the states is is it fills a vacuum there because uh, they see the pathway to the NBA the, or the NFL to be through the college system, um, so the, it's, it's very, very professional, so it's the feeder programme for their, their major sports, um, therefore the amount of money um, involved in it is, uh, gives them a lot of good resources. Some of the American football stadiums um, hold up to 90,000, and they're, they're on, on campus. You know, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, a diff- it's a different world and one I was uh, lucky to be part of mm.
2: Am I right in thinking you studied psychology whilst you were doing that?
0: Yes, I, I'd, I'd actually started a degree in psychology at University of Dundee uh, and then I transferred um, uh, when I was at Forfar I, I was also at university so um, I then transferred my first year over to the States uh, and then did another three and a half years there
2: Mm-hmm. and is that giving you uh, what kind of insight has that giving you later on has it been helpful in any way in terms of getting an I don't insight I maybe
0: maybe subconsciously but I don't it's not something that I I, I didn't really uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to study to be perfectly honest with you and uh, I just thought psychology might be practical because you, it's something that you use every day in your life and um, I, I don't I don't know if uh, if it's helped me because I've never actually worked with it, um, no. I was very lucky. I hurt my knee uh, really badly there. I tore um, my patella tendon, and um, I was out uh, twenty months. Boston, Boston, whilst I was in uh, the states, so actually, after I, I've had uh, five operations, that after one of them, uh, they cut the they cut the bottom of my knee cap, bottom of my kneecap off because they thought it was. Rubbing a spit tendon, and after the operation, I'd gone to watch a basketball game on crutches and uh, during the basketball game, my knees started to to swell up and I had a blood clot, so I had to get it drained um by the doctor of the of the basketball game right. you can die eh? so yeah so you know the blood clots are very dangerous and, uh, and it was a, it was a tough period, and in that period i I became more interested in academics than when I w- w- you know, because I didn't have football at that point as as my focus. And I worked with a professor there from Cuba called Antonio Piente and uh, he was he was quite inspirational really. Um, not just about psychology, about about life in general and you know, still in touch with him to this day. Mm.
1: Mm. And was it clinical psychology or was there a sports psychology dimension? It was too? actually
0: the, the the aspect that mm. I, I I did was neuropsychology. Um uh, and that was that's what you know Dr Piente specialised in, um but then the degree covered all these other kinds yeah. of uh, aspects of psychology.
2: Right. Mm. So it's probably fair to say you've you've not walked a kind of well trodden path of a lot of kind of uh, other other people in football because from America you went to Romania for a season.
0: Yes, um I just I had the opportunity to go out there. I was at a team called Dacia Braila. Um, near the Moldovan border, uh, and, and, you know, it was an interesting contrast between the US and, and, and Romania. Uh, in Romania, they have, you know, the Ceausescu hadn't, you know, uh, hadn't long been in power, um, and uh, the country was kind of going through that transition from communism to, to capitalism, and, and when there's a vacuum there, it becomes like the Wild West for a a period of time and, and to see that and to see how how difficult life was for people was was I uh, I think was good and it was a good balance uh, between you know the excesses of life in the USA.
1: Mm. How long were you there for?
0: Uh I was there uh, for about 8 months.
1: Okay. Yeah. And what was the standard
2: like? Was it a good
0: standard? Okay, I think that uh, th- there was less resources but better players. Mm. And right. I think cuz they grew up with football, you know and, and most of the communist countries back then they had they had good young footballers, and I think there's even now some of the countries that that still have you know some aspect of you know communism socialism uh, one one thing that I think that 's quite good at is producing athletes mm-hmm. uh, because of the regimented way that they they do things and I was fortunate I had a a role with UEFA as a technical observer, and I got to uh, look at the program the, the training programs in Georgia, Bulgaria, Romania, and Croatia and I think Croatia and and Serbia have got fantastic you know mm-hmm. youth football and uh it's very very uh you know structured organized the best players all live together from a really young age at you know, these sports academies and um so there there's some some aspects now uh, with the performance schools and what have you, are, are trying to be replicated within Scotland.
1: So that was all when you were in your early 20s, playing out in Romania? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah for a short period
0: of time, yeah. and then I moved on to Japan, where I spent my longest period of time, which was four years.
2: How did that come about? That um, must have been a, a really interesting place to go and play football. You are also fluent in Japanese, is that right?
0: I was. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Oh. Been a, been f- <laughs> I was going to get Austin to do us an intro in, in Japanese for the podcast, Yeah, <laughs> expand yeah, our yeah. listenership. Well,
0: um, I, uh, I, yeah, I went there just after the World Cup, um, so that would have been in 2000, uh, 2003 I went there, oh. I think, and, and uh, <clears throat> came back in 2007, so I was there, there four years in Nagoya. Uh, a couple of hours south of, um, of Tokyo, and it was a it was a great experience. That every day was a school day, mm. um, because things were so different. I actually remember first time I got paid, I went to the bank, and there was no English in the bank. There was only the the kanji, which is the Chinese characters, which uh, which the Japanese used to write. And you just had to learn, you know, like how how you got fifty quid. You press top left, <laughs> bottom right, middle in the. You know, middle and then bottom right, and out came 50 quid. You didn't actually know what you were doing. It was a kind of trial and error, and uh, in some aspects of communication, it was like being a child again, because you couldn't read. So when you went into, you know, at times when I was just myself, went into a restaurant, couldn't read the menu, they couldn't speak English, so... There was a lot of experimenting um, <laughs> with different things, and I, I really like the people out there as well. I think they're quite misunderstood. Mm. Uh, I found people think Japanese are very, very shy and reserved. Uh, yeah, once you, when you're there, I think if you can speak a little bit of Japanese, it, it certainly opens the door for to find out more about the people. And I always think the the key to any country is is the, is the people, and and the you know the Japanese people were fantastic.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. And how did how did that actually come about? That opportunity
0: was that. Well, when I when I came back to uh, to Scotland um, again, I just kind of got itchy feet, and uh, my friend had gone out there, and he said that there were um, there were a lot of you know foreign players now even in the lower leagues, and at that time, uh, the the team that I was out out with, Korea, um, they uh, they were in Division Four. Uh, so I actually went out on trial with the lawyer Grand Passat. It wasn't good enough, and ended up uh, with the, a club in the same city called Korea. So I, I suppose it would be equivalent of going out on trial with Celtic and ending up with Clyde,
1: um,
0: <laughs> which was uh, was was my level. Um, and then I spent spent four years there. Uh, And, you know, enjoyed every minute of it. Mm. Did you look
1: for a club in Scotland? Or were your eyes always up at the horizon?
0: I I came back and I was at East Fife for a period of time. Um, Actually, my old PE teacher, uh, Jim Moffat, was was there at the time. So, and Craig Robertson, who used to play for Dunfermline. That was the management team. But that was my level. And, you know, living in Nagoya or living or or spending (laughs) a lot of time in methyl. there There was only... Uh, one, you know, one choice in terms of what was more interesting in my life at that yeah. period in time.
2: What was it like? Presumably, a lot of your teammates were Japanese. What was that like? In because it was
0: because it wasn't a high level. It's like you don't get many foreign players playing for Clyde. Mm. The, there was, I think, there was twenty Japanese players, one Korean, and me. Um, only one of the only only one of the players spoke English, which was good because you know I, I met out there you know, English teachers, for example, where some guy's gone out to teach English, He's, he works with English every day, the student, the Japanese people he interacts with speak English, he ends up marrying a girl who speaks English, they have Sky TV, and you end up living in a kind of English vacuum within yeah. Japan, whereas I probably spoke better Japanese within a year than many foreigners who, 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 um, who taught English, spoke... Uh, Having been there for ten years, just because of my environment, not because I was any good at languages. And you're travelling with people who speak Japanese all the time. You're training. You're uh, and and it was it, it was lucky because it just after about a year and a half, I just felt like the language just kind of fell into my head. Mm. I didn't take structured lessons. Right, really. I didn't actually you just learnt it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did a wee bit here and there in coffee shops and what have you. But I think being in the just being around people and mm. and like people helping me. I used to go to a bar, which uh, where the the barman um, he was actually the guy who wrote the uh, really interesting guy he'd, he'd written the the soundtrack for the Sony Walkman, um, right. the, which was the one of the biggest uh, you know in terms of sales of of new technologies, and uh, he used to he was very musical and he used to, the barman in his bar he used to kind of teach me. Teach me some Japanese or help me with some bits and pieces. Just and uh, it was just round the corner from my house. It was good. Mm. Um, it was a nice way to learn a language. Yeah.
2: Did Did those experiences uh, give you a kind of better rounded view of the world and perspective and, and help you when you came back to Scotland?
0: Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, I think what it does do living in in uh, or spending time in places which are so different. You know, the, Romania, America, and Japan. Is it removes your sense of normal. So maybe when you when you encounter other situations in your life you're 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 more relaxed because you've seen people doing things in different ways, mm-hmm. you've seen you've spent a lot of time with people who are who've been brought up with certain ideas about life, whereas maybe me being in those places in addition to Scotland has allowed me to to maybe see things a wee bit differently, be less surprised maybe, mm-hmm. and therefore mm-hmm. maybe be be more relaxed and hopefully you know make better decisions. So yeah. um, I would say it's, that's probably the biggest impact is that it it, it removes what you think is normal, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that's that's quite a good thing.
2: Mm. So you came back to uh, Scotland and Fife and and you started working with Cooper Hearts and was this is also at the same point? I want to make sure I get the time right here that you mm. started working on Am Soccer Club.
0: Yes. Uh, so this is
2: two thousand and six.
0: Yeah, two thousand six, two thousand and seven, and around there. I, yeah, I came back and I started doing my UEFA B license, um, and I felt that I was at Falkirk uh, doing some coaching uh, with the, the young players at Falkirk, and then um, after that, the I had the opportunity to to continue my my coaching license, and I felt that I needed a team. Uh, rather than just take coaching sessions. So the local team was Cooper Hearts. They were on an amateur side, although they're quite a well-established amateur side. And uh, I went there and they let me be the manager when I was 26, 27. And mm-hmm. we, we had a very successful year. The, we won the, the Fife Cup for the first time in their 100-year history. And we managed to get to the cup final at Hamden. Mm-hmm. We went through 14 rounds. Got a bit of luck along the way, but uh, it was it was brilliant. um We took three thousand to the final. Wow! <laughs> um, and for a town of just ten thousand or twelve thousand, it's uh, it was it was good. And there was a real, you know, kind of feel good factor at the uh, at that time. And in conjunction with that, I'd started the the football schools, and uh, they they were popular. They were probably a, a consequence of what I'd seen abroad um, in terms of the way that youth football structured in America and more the, the way that the, the Japanese do some of their technical development in terms of repetition and organisation um, and the club's uh, now 10 years old so yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's been, a, it's been a interesting uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting to see it evolve and see the young players evolve and go on to other opportunities mm.
2: and from, from Cooper Hearts the opportunity came up to, to go and work with Calden Beef Mm.
0: Uh. Yeah. They... And,
2: and I suppose at this point had you decided that coaching was what you wanted to do. This was going to be the main area of your career.
0: Well, I I had real. I had to go to the the north of Sweden for my last knee operation because I was kind of had chronic pain in my knee. Um. So I went there and they they kind of basically numbed my knee. Uh. And at that point, I thought enough is enough. Um. You know, trying to play was for. You know the love of the game and for pleasure really, and uh, it was the the pain from the training and from playing was was too much, and then it had just become constant. i had been on painkillers every day for about six years, so it was. Uh, I, I went to this clinic and this private clinic in the north of Sweden, and they they basically that da- you know deliberately damaged the nerves in my knee, and at that point I thought that's enough. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just pursued. Pursued coaching, just tried to do things as well as I could and, and learn. Uh, Had and you
1: begun coaching when you
0: were still playing? I actually coached a, lot a team when, when I was in the States. So right, I started okay. coaching when I was about 18, 19. Okay. Um, so I suppose I've been at it for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people constantly tell me I'm a young coach. <laughs> yeah. well, I've only been doing it for 20 years. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was, it was like that and uh, the, the, uh, that was the first time I really coached was in the States and then I just kept going and then when I came back to Scotland on a more permanent basis and was doing my licences, uh, at Cooper Hearts I'd actually brought in a, a Czech player, Andra um, Matusik, who Karen Beath wanted to sign. And uh, I think when Danny Lennon came to, to see him in training as well, uh, he, he thought my training was, was was quite good so he he asked mm-hmm. if I wanted to come as well right. and, Yeah. you know I was eternally grateful to Danny for giving me my kind of first opportunity and uh, you know we went we did well at Coonbeath and then he, he took me to St Mirren with him when yeah, he went yeah. there and mm-hmm. we, we we did well kept the, the team in the league which was the which was the, the requirements um, we won the cup for the first time in, in 27 years Um and uh, I think they finished eighth, which was about their, their highest position. Good young players came into the team, Kenny McLean, John John McGinn. Yeah. Um, and again, just the opportunity to learn a lot. And then from there, I went on to Northern Ireland.
2: Yeah. I mean, just on Calden Beef, you. I was looking early, I didn't realise you, you'd taken for two divisions, you and Danny had taken up two divisions to the Championship. And I guess looking at them now, you're, looking, you're kind of punching above their weight in terms of, their resource and and everything available to them. So, was there a kind of secret to that, or what was the key to?
0: Danny worked very very hard. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think that at that at that period of time, uh, they were they were better organized than the other teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and after he got the first part of success, it was easier to attract players. Sure. Yeah. Um and. Uh, you know they went up in the, the in the play. I think it was maybe one of the first times of the the new playoff system. Okay. Uh, so we went up in the playoff system, uh, and you know at times in football you've got to move uh, at the right time. And you know after he got that second promotion, um, I think he he had the opportunity to to Kilmarnock or Saint mm-hmm. Um and uh, and you know went to Saint Mm. Alan tries to mention on every podcast he's a massive Ray frozen
1: fan. So. <laughs> is he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, thanks for doing it for me. I remember the season when, um, when cause Danny had been an ex-Rovers um, mm. player. Scored uh, against Bayern Munich. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, You've never mentioned that, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> Neither <does> Danny. Danny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that season when cause I think we, when you came up to the championship uh, or maybe it was when we were down in, in League One as it is now. We um, were in the same division there, and the games against you that season were were very tight. Um, I and remember, it Was really I really can, can be really at the at the at the peak? Yeah. Uh, in Brian, years.
0: Brian Welsh was there. I think, That's at right. That yeah. Time. yeah, and Danny was because Danny started off as Brian's assistant. Okay. But I remember there was there must have been you know, a good few thousand at Central Park mm. in one of the derbies. Yeah. He's one two one. I don't actually remember the game. Yeah. yeah.
2: So what what's the key to working with a. a Team on a part-time basis to make them that well organized because you know that more Simplicity, from other teams, isn't it?
0: I, I, I think simplicity uh-huh. is, is that you don't have, you know, the frustrations with part-time football is that you can't really coach properly, and I think it's it's coming to for the for the manager it's to come into terms with those frustrations, and you know, having a simple platform to be organized off in part-time football, I think is the key. Um, so. You're not you're working more time on less. Sure, mm-hmm. um, and I think if, if you if you get that and you get momentum, um, and I think you know I see it in football it's like momentum in a in a season is so important. And, yeah. You know you normally get momentum from a good start. I think so many teams that win promotion, like the bigger teams that have dropped out a league and then come back up. You know Hearts are a good example. You know the season they came up, they finished third. Hibs have had a good mm-hmm. season this because the that group of players already has momentum mm, they've, yeah. they've won the league the season before they got off to a reasonable start their fans they're they're back in the league i think it's the second season it's always the most difficult one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and uh, i think we got momentum at the right time uh, like i think that momentum was the what, what which uh, um, momentum is what northern ireland got to qualify for the euro the Euros in, in 2016. We won our first three games. you got nine points. It's Christmas. Yeah, it's easier to keep that in going a very, yes, yeah, yeah. Players, players who might have a sore hamstring suddenly don't have a sore hamstring, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and, and Scotland lost momentum at the start of their Euro uh-huh. qualifying, and yeah. it's, it's very, very difficult to get back.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. So, just before the Northern Ireland, you were involved with Mexico at the World Cup. Yeah, it was, what
0: was that uh, like when managing, was, uh, coaching at a World Cup must have been an amazing experience it was more the analysis side of it I did there okay. um, so it was uh, again it's just the, it gave you an opportunity to look at world class players um, you know b- before that I'd also had two games in Northern Ireland against uh, Uruguay and Chile and it was their send off games for the World Cup my first game um, was in Montevideo from the stadium of the first ever uh, World Cup final in, in 1930 mm-hmm and honestly it looks like it's not been done up since <laughs> you know like changing Central rooms and, uh, yes, yeah, yeah it's actually very similar but there was uh, there was 60,000 there you know they had uh, Cavani and Forlan up front and it was, it was brilliant that's when you really thought that this is you know I love international football I think it's it's very very honest in respect of you know agents aren't really involved the players aren't under contract they're playing because they want to be there yeah. um, it's almost a bit more like when football was as a kid, you know, it's a group yeah. of guys together with a, you know, common objective rather than ones who are contracted, you know, some players want to leave, some want to stay, you're dealing with contracts, yeah. it's just a bit more innocent and, uh, you know, the international game is one which I think is is, is great.
1: Mm. But you have very limited time with the players, mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting them maybe for a couple of days before the match, maybe yes. a week before yeah. before a big match, yeah. um, and that something you said about your time at Cowden Bees, mm-hmm. Uh, sounded similar to that you don't have that much opportunity to coach just getting them together yes. and getting them organised and, yeah. and trying to try and get some momentum yeah. and then keep it yes um, yeah. so you wouldn't think there was all that much similar between no I think and, I, and an international team but there's there's that
0: no no to. I think the, in terms of the, the the training the training time that you have it's very very limited so you have to use it well there's other ways that you can help the players you know we do a lot of video work for example and then the double headers in particular when you, you play you play Friday-Monday or Saturday-Tuesday mm-hmm. or Thursday-Sunday um, with the internationals, you've also got to travel in that period. Yeah. So you've got to recover, yeah. you've got to travel, you've got to do a mandatory training session at the pitch. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's not a lot of time and it's how you how you use these other things in terms of off-field coaching, which yeah. I think is uh, yeah. really important. But biggest mm-hmm. difference, <clears throat> I think, is that when you qualify for a major tournament, it's easier to then qualify for the next one because if you qualify for, like when we went to France, we had, I think it was 40 days together, which was a long right. time to spend with Kyle Lafferty, right. um, <laughs> but uh, no, Kyle, Kyle's good or we're not brought him to Harps, but so, uh, we had 40 days together and we were in, Manche- we were trained at Manchester City's training ground, we then played in Belfast, we then went to play uh, in Slovakia. We did a training camp in Austria, and then we went to France, okay. I think, of the, four, of the uh, because we had to be in France, I think, eight days before the first game against Poland. But if you don't qualify, you don't get those days training together. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's, that was a key time. It was four extra, for example, over Scotland, that's four extra games that Northern Ireland had mm. because we, we qualified and we, we had the game with Wales. But on top of that, you've got 40 days. To really refine your team to build yeah, your team really to other, things. Yeah, yeah yeah of, yeah and um you know in the back of that we we get to the playoff for the world cup and uh i think the 40 days in france help the next campaign yeah. again yeah. talking about momentum it's so important mm.
1: yeah.
2: so the the qualification for the euros there i was reading earlier that michael o'neill Credited a lot of the success and described you as uh having a an obsessive attention to detail. Is that a fair uh, analysis?
0: Yeah, uh, oh, they're nice words. Um, <laughs> I I think that the some of the detail, you know, you. It's like anything, you know. Information only has value if people understand it, and a few things that maybe we tried to do with set pieces or 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 analysis, worked early on in my time at, at, uh, at Northern Ireland. And there's an element of luck in that as well. Um, you, you, you you need things, you, um, but because but because they worked, I think maybe the, it was easier for me to assimilate into the group with the players, with the staff, for Michael to trust me. Mm. And, uh, and that's probably where that comes from. But um, it's, it's something that, you know, has become a big part of our, our, our game because Northern Ireland don't have a lot of possession. So uh, when we when we get up the pitch, we need to try and get something, whether it's a corner, whether it's a mm-hmm. throw in, whether it's you know forcing a save from the goalkeeper. So mm-hmm. it's, it's we try and make our football as efficient as possible, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore set pieces become um, more important. Sure. Well, we're very lucky we've got we've got Chris Brunt and we've got Gareth McCauley mm-hmm. and we've got you know an aerial presence. Josh has got a long throw, but the players also are see set plays as being their thing, mm, right. um, so they maybe give it a little bit more attention and time than, than some other mm. uh, groups of players who mm, maybe yeah. don't feel that that can be their edge. I mean, some of the detail that we've gone into, for example, Chris Brunt has a certain foot pattern when he takes a good good right. corner, um, and we went to IFA, Irish Football Association, um, and we said that in one corner at Windsor Park he couldn't get his foot pattern right. <laughs> Because it dropped off too quickly in the uh, so I think he needed three steps to to get what is really really consistent and quality delivery, and we were only scoring corners at one end and it took time <laughs> to see why and Chris's delivery was different so IFA actually concreted that corner uh-huh. and so, so he could get his it. foot pattern bit uh, wow. better and these are the little things that matter though eh? yeah, yeah. And, you know and it's it's those it's those margins and I think also as a player if you if you see the association going to that level of care mm-hmm. to support you, you can't help, but maybe take a wee bit more care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a great, it's been a great, you know, four years yeah. I've yeah. had there. And, and, you know, I don't see there's a, we had a fantastic result two weeks ago against South Korea, who, you know, the team who were in the semi-finals of the World Cup not too long ago. And I think that we can, we can kick on again in the Nations League and also in qualification and hopefully... Um, make it to to Euro, uh, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're now juggling your Northern Ireland role with as well as Am Soccer with mm. with Hearts. Mm. Yeah, first time in, on the coaching side of a of a full time football. Yes. How how's how's that? And
0: that must vary a lot. Well, the the I had the period of time at, at Saint Mirren. Um, of course, that was full time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and we actually played Hearts in the League Cup final and beat them three two. Um, <laughs> that was my my kind of last experience of that, but. The, uh, no, it's good. Um, I'm lucky with AM Soccer because I've got great staff who, who care. Um, fundamentally, that's the most important thing. We have a, a, a committee of, of parents who are who have different skills and strengths and are, are very supportive and they're all volunteers, um, or the board, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the foundations for AM Soccer are very, very strong. Uh, good links with the local community, with, you know, the walking football and with, uh, all the work we do in all the schools, um, so that's something that I just kind of keep an eye on day to day involvement with Hearts. I'm really enjoying working with Craig Levine. Um, I think as a as a coach to work with Craig and with Michael O'Neill um, allows me, you know, great opportunities to develop and to uh, to learn from their experience um, and how they handle situations. I think fundamentally because they've been over the path so many times and I feel very lucky in that position.
2: Mm. Okay, so this sort of leads us quite nicely into AMS now. So um, in the meantime, from starting in 2006 to, to where it is now, what does the club look like now from sort of 12 years ago?
0: Well, initially we just trained kids um, before we didn't have competitive teams. Uh, and apart, apart of me, to be honest, preferred that because the minute that you begin to put teams on the pitch parents look at results mm-hmm. and kids do as well and then you have to compete with the other clubs whereas when they played for the other clubs and we just trained them it was like training became more important mm-hmm. um, but I think because we did a good job people then wanted us to have teams and to to maybe try to complete the kids development that's what we had to do uh, we started with you know twenty kids in a park, and just myself and a couple of you know young coaches we've now got you know five hundred players we we do football from age three to age ninety three um we have uh you know part time and full time staff over twenty uh We've got significant funding. We have our own office. We have a number of facilities in Kemback and Ladybank. We've taken over the cricket club at Cooper, which was dilapidated. We've spent fifty grand doing that up, um, and we've got a real—you know—I think we're right in the middle of the community. Um, the amount of people that are connected with the club, uh, and also we have an amateur team. Uh, our the thing that would really change things for us would be a facility. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And um, one thing I want... So your underlying kind of thing here isn't necessarily about um, competition, but it seems to me your underlying thing for you as a person, as an individual, has been about developing good players and yes. good people. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's initially why you started up the schools. And I guess the club was a, a good pathway to get those players more playing time. But it wasn't about winning stuff. It was about... Helping develop technically
0: good players. Yeah, I think that the um, I think you you look at your own experiences as a young player, and I've only got you know happy mem- happy memories of football. But I just wish w- when I was young, am soccer had existed, because I would have been a lot better. Mm. Um, the amount of times that the kids train, where they train, how they're how they're coached. I mean, we've we've got we've had probably 50 kids at professional clubs mm-hmm. over the years um, we've had them uh, on the pitch now as well with a number of different teams at full time clubs so uh, the amount of opportunities that we create um for these players and knowing where we are in the food chain is very important you know we're a community football you know community football club and we should be pleased when our players move on mm-hmm. we shouldn't try and hold them back we we should develop them to a point where, you know, the professional clubs can then take it from there.
2: Mm -hmm. And there's also um, a scholarship aspect involved, isn't there? I mean, one of the key things is about the amount of opportunity that people involved with AMS get through the pathway to go and play with the amateurs, but also... uh, Yeah, we
0: have have four kids just now in in the States, uh, James Lang, Scott Wilson, um, Matthew Porteous and Savio Adams at... We also run an international programme in the summer where kids from around the world come and stay with our players and they train and that's all free. Um, the story of Savio is probably one which it brings me most pride because Savio came over from a township in South Africa uh, where you know, I think it was life expectancy was 44 and the rate of HIV was over 50%. Mm. He came over and he, he stayed for the summer, he trained he was a great kid and very, very talented. And we managed to get him a scholarship in, in the U, in USA, uh, uh, which has changed his life. We put together all his video and everything and we supported him over out there. And he's in Houston just now and he'll he'll either trans, transfer to either Ohio or Florida. And, you know, to, to have the opportunity to create a pathway for a, a, a young man like that who, who, who you know will appreciate it and make the most of it because he's had so many problems in his life and where he grows up and you know staying alive's an achievement and for for him to now have the the opportunity to go to america and do a degree and um, um, change his life as and to play a small role in that is something that, that makes me very proud
2: mm. and back in 2004 i think was it ams became a, a charity as well mm. to kind of reflect the fact that it was doing more than just playing football but mm-hmm. actually was helping with with health and education mm-hmm. within within the local area and also has new programs as well so football for special needs mm-hmm. and then walking football which i guess leads us nicely into uh the news that this week that ams is up for the people's project
0: yes that's uh you know all the staff at the club have done a, a great job of getting it to this point and if we were to to win it would uh, it would allow us to continue to develop that the you know the the feedback that we've had on the walking football from from the the guys who play and also their wives. You know some of them are are widowed, but they uh, um, the, their wives just saying how much they look forward to it. That's uh, You know sometimes I think as people get older they can they can become a bit lonely. Yeah. You know and they they're there. There's about you know thirty of them on a. On a Tuesday, uh, playing, they've gone to Glasgow and played against Ali McCoist and Frank McAvaney. You know, all these guys are walking football, um, and it's been a it's been a great a great project. And they're now going to Portugal mm-hmm. to play in a tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. The first question when we told them was, "Is there a toilet in the bus?" <laughs> uh, we're, we're at Priorities that age, right, at that age, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. But um, yeah, if we were going, to, if we were. Uh, if we have enough people voting for us, we we can get significant funding, which can allow us to grow this program and hopefully, you know, uh, raise awareness about all the, the the good things that walking football can do for for guys who are you know fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty. Mhm,
2: mhm. And um, finally, f- for yourself, what does the future hold in terms of I guess your aspirations for AMS, but also professionally in your
0: personal career? I think for uh, for AMS. You know, I think that once we get our own facility, uh, we can do a lot more, and it, you know everything will be uh, even more sustainable than it already is. Uh, allow us to also do things better, which is important to me. Um, and you know, I'm fortunate with the staff that we've got. Uh, you know, Lindsay, Duncan, uh, Daniel, and Dan do a they do a brilliant job. You know, Carly with all the administration, but. Um, I think that they can grow within the organization as well. Um it would be nice to grow the amateur team to be one of the best in Scotland. Uh, hopefully with our own young players. Um I'd like to get a million dollars of scholarship money um for kids uh, in the USA and to see more young players going out there because it's been an opportunity that's changed my life and hopefully it's one which can impact positively the lives of some young lads and uh, and girls in, in North East Fife. Um, I think in football, it's very hard to project forward. Uh, I think that, and you've sometimes got to be careful for what you wish for. Um, I see people rushing into management and very soon they're driving a white van. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel very lucky to to work with Craig Levine and Anne at Hearts, um, learn a lot on a daily basis um, from the experience that they both have. Uh, and, you know, with the national team and Michael O'Neill, it's exciting, um, and I feel very happy in in my role just now.
2: Mm -hmm. And just very lastly, for people that um, have listened to this and want to vote for AMS in the People's Project, um, voting's open for two weeks, how can they get involved and do that?
0: Um, Well, it's uh, on our website, um, which is amsoccerclub.org, uh, and uh, they can click on that also on our twitter feed um it's a it's a pinned link at the top of that so it would be great if people can can vote for that and hopefully we can we can impact the lives of some more uh, elderly but keen footballers absolutely
2: okay brilliant thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast today
0: thanks again andrew Cheers.
1: So that was our chat with Austin. Um, really, really enjoyed that one. A, a fascinating character, really, really in, intrigued by the things he had to say. Um, what did you think, Andrew? Uh, you know you know Austin better than I do, so uh, was that what you expected? For
2: me, it was a good opportunity to uh, ask him all the stuff that I'd never had <laughs> the, uh, the balls to ask him in person, yeah. so this was an excellent excuse yeah. to ask him about his... Uh, Fluent, fluentness in Japanese, for yeah. example, and a degree we didn't, in psychology. We didn't share
1: with us. I know, <laughs> I
2: know. But I mean, I think, well, I've worked with Austin now for about the last year, really, since I've mm. been, been working with him one day a week. And uh, just a huge amount of respect for what he's achieved, not only professionally, which I think yeah. is what gets all the media attention, but what he's developed in the background yeah. as a, cl- a club from pretty much nothing, as he says yeah. in the interview coaching, coaching schools. Yeah. into this, um, you know, SFA legacy club, uh-huh. you know, the, what, doing huge amount of good stuff in the community. is grown into a charity to reflect all the work it's doing in the community. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a really interesting guy that's yeah. doing it for the right reasons. Amazing,
1: amazing character. My big sort of takeaways from that were, well, first of it, just him, just him, him as a person. It's clear that from an early age he's not been satisfied just to do one thing that whole thing he didn't just go to university he, he was a footballer as well or he didn't just be a footballer he went to university as well and then he went across the states but he didn't just go there to do a scholarship and get his degree and play football he started coaching as well mm. uh, and then he left there and went to Romania and but he didn't just do that he was a, a UEFA observer yes uh, and then he went went to Japan and he didn't just do that he didn't d- take the easy route of just getting by and go to expat bars and and, and meeting expats learnt the language mm. and, and, go, and really got and stuck in yeah. yeah and then came back and started his own his own club uh, and also you know we gave an assistant manager but kept both things going mm. and always looking for, a, for another thing and uh, and I guess we can see that in in what he's what he's doing now you know what for other people would be big jobs on their own mm. you know I I a, a club in the premiership in Scotland an international post um some other work in international football um doing the analysis he talked about uh, with Mexico yeah um and am soccer which is which is huge um you know, listeners may notice that uh or, or may have missed my voice towards the end of the podcast there or not. Uh, may not have noticed <laughs> or they may have just really really enjoyed it and wondered why um, No, probably. Uh, but I, I had to leave the room um towards the end of the podcast there just before um austin started talking specifically about am soccer um so i'm interested in, in, what, in what i missed Uh, So what was? Can find out on Monday. I'll find. I'll find out when this this goes live, or you could just tell me now.
2: (laughs) So uh, we were predominantly talking about how AMS are now up for an award with um, the People's Project, which is. A big lottery and stv initiative which basically looks to help um, a lot of community initiatives get some much needed funding to develop their programs which are doing good stuff in their communities which we are absolutely delighted that ams are up for yeah. an award with that and which is for our walking football program our AM, yeah. am seniors as we call them so yeah. for all the different strands of ams there's the am soccer club then there's the am seniors etc etc ams or whatever it is so yeah. it's all got a nice little um theme going to it and the am seniors walking football we're looking to develop that um uh, so we can do more more programs for women as well so we've had okay. quite a lot of interest in women coming along and playing with, uh, walking football
1: is there much women's walking football around scotland the, just now
2: there are a few teams yeah. yeah um i know i certainly know a couple of different teams that are playing and we certainly have had a lot of interest in doing that which fits in nicely to our women and girls mm. uh, teams that have set up uh in the last year as well so it's kind of a nice pathway where we have literally football for everyone and yeah. everyone and Fantastic. Um, and the walking football also um, coincide with our am special needs program as well for, uh-huh. for guys that are uh, perhaps aren't um able to compete a, a, a different sort of level of stren- strenuous um activity so yeah this with funding would go a long way to helping um, us develop that program um, and, and, and
1: voting's open today you voting know, august, is august uh, april the 16th yes uh, monday april 16th voting nine, nine opens o'clock. where do people go to uh to, to cast their vote
2: they go to www.amsoccerclub.org and go to the news section and it'll be
1: Right, okay. there, or so if you're on
2: Twitter, yeah. If you're on Twitter, it's at am soccer underscore club, yeah. And it will be the pinned tweet there. Yeah.
1: So. And how long is voting open? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Uh,
2: and you will, if you if you watch, if you're in the east region, you will see a video about the AM uh, walking football program. Then Friday it'll come out at five o'clock. You'll be able mm-hmm. to see a little uh, video that STV came out to film about the
1: mm-hmm.
2: about the program there. Um. So very exciting. Ah, good. And great hopefully, uh, if we get the most votes, we'll win the money, basically. Yeah. So please, and please do a, go and it's vote. It's a
1: big chunk of money, which will make a huge, huge difference it is. to the impact AM Soccer can have. Um, they're uh, already having a great impact. So yeah. They can do an e- e- even more up in that corner of northeast Fife.
2: Yes. And, and actually, as well... Um, we've met all the other projects that are up for the money as well. They're all excellent projects. I think that's probably important to say. So, mm. But don't um, vote for them. Vote <laughs> for them. <It's> okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that, not me. But, uh, yeah, no, they are really worth checking out and going to see everyone's videos. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's just a great initiative on its own that these this, these awards are, are there and that, that pot of funding mm-hmm. is available for, for some great projects. Mm-hmm, very Good. much so. Good.
2: Yeah. Um, next week on the pod we will have another interview with somebody uh, but again we're, we're sure keep, we're keeping it a secret it is, it's se- that's what it is, it's a secret we don't want to ruin the surprise Yeah. Uh, so until then, thank you very much and, and see you then okay,
0: bye Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast you can get in touch with the show by emailing goals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at sup. Direct Scott. That's S U P P Direct Scott.